Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from a pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined this week by David Moser, Academic Director of the CET program here in Beijing. David, how are you, man? Doing great, Kaiser. Thanks. Happy New Year to you. You too. Yeah. So you just got back from Djibouti, yeah? Mm, that's right. And so I was off in Turkey for part of, 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 uh, of December. Jeremy, of course, you know, who is absent today, he's... he's Living in Tennessee, uh, much more exotic place. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, all, all three of us are. are I, I would say, without without hesitation, that we're all reasonably sophisticated dudes with adventurous palates. You know, we eat oh, our yeah. way around. I mean, yeah. Ate a lot of really great stuff in Turkey. Right. How's, how's the food scene in Djibouti? Uh, it's pretty dull. Pretty yeah, dull. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. they have a Kempinski there, so we had you know. Western food a little few times, okay. yeah. but you know I think uh, all we're married to Chinese women and and have a lot of Chinese friends obviously living here in in, in China. Uh, we've all bitched privately or or even publicly about our friends and relatives who travel abroad and are okay, maybe less adventurous than say you you and, and me right. about about sampling the local cuisine, uh, having to you know run constantly back to the safety of. Chinese food, however badly it's prepared. So, uh, <laughs> at the same time, I mean, I think we're both deeply appreciative of the, the astonishing variety and, and the, the general excellence of Chinese cooking. So uh, I know at least for yeah. me, David, you too. Um, I mean, if I had to limit myself to one national cuisine for the rest of my mortal life, it would I, be yeah Chinese. Yeah, for for you too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't, wouldn't. On a desert island. Yeah. I'd bring a Chinese chef. I think. <laughs> it's yeah. What would you do with him besides? Well, you know, hopefully, a, a female Chinese right. chef. But you know, eating you, you got to well, eat. Wife, right. Right. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what with China, the size of Europe, and all that's kind of cheating because you get already kind of built in tons of regional variety. But um, right. You know, Imagine Europe, Europe had never broken up. Right. Uh, really it was you would be talking about European food as being this rich variety, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess we could both being Americans. Um, I mean, I grew up. I, I was at my mom's house the other day, and I found I was just you know she's getting ready to sell the house, and I'm looking through all these old books, and there was like this 1970, maybe early 1970s, late 60s Betty Crocker cookbook, and I was flipping <laughs> through it, and it was just a hoot. It was yeah. just, I mean, it was like every other dish was made with like French onion soup mix and a can of cream of mushroom soup or something right. like that. I mean, or all kinds of gelatin with kind of marshmallows aspects and things thrown in. Yeah, right. yeah. It was just, it's just, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I would I would not forgive, I would not, like, hold my, my Chinese friends and family too, too much task for thinking that American food is, well, you know, just pretty forgettable, you know. It's just burgers and pizza and fried chicken and stuff. Um, you know, I, I think you, you were telling me about a crosstalk routine. Yeah, when I was a... I, you know, there's this crosstalk, a xiangsheng routine, this classic thing called guan, guanko, where they, uh, one of the things they like to do is show off that they can recite impossibly long lists of things, you know, at dishes. breakneck speed, you know, for like hours and, you know, and there's a piece that where they just recite Chinese dishes. They say, I'm going to invite you to dinner. What's on the menu? And they just, for a minute and a half, dish after dish, maybe, maybe a 200, yeah, just, just 200 Chinese dishes, maybe 250 Chinese dishes, you know, breakneck. And the, 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 one of the producers said, we want to do a, 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 a cross-cultural show, you know. Can you do the same thing with American food? We want you to make a, a, a list of American food. And I said, look, you know, director, this is gonna, I'm no, going to run out after about 20 right, years. That would have been a great joke. I mean, you, that you would have missed out on the humor opportunity. If, I mean, I mean, it would have been great. You would have, like, started off really fast. Yeah. And then, Hamburger, tuna, fish sandwich, you know, pizza, pizza, uh, corn dog. And that's it. Chili? That's about it. So American food, of course, is way more than that now. And and despite the efforts of the, you know, culinary, you know, monoculture monstrosities, you know, you're 
your, your Sizzler and, and, and your TGI Fridays and your Applebee's and your Denny's and, and your fucking Olive Garden. There's um, still wonderful regional... Lawsuit warning. Don't mention proper you know, to you country company names. Kaiser... <laughs> Uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're delighted to welcome Howie Southworth and Greg Matza, who are the guys behind the series Sauced in Translation, in which our protagonists wander the PRC, visiting some second and even lower tier and kind of sketchy places, doing a little Epicurean exploration and getting inspired by local cuisine, and then preparing and serving distinctly American dishes uh, with local ingredients for their new local friends. And the show is a hoot. Mm, uh, very funny. Yeah, Howie is uh, is is here, and, and so is, is Greg. And... Uh, Howie looks like a... You look like a guy who would be named Howie. Yeah. Well, I've got to tell my you. my parents for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and our on-camera ambassador uh, for American Cookery, Howie, is also joined by Greg, who is uh, the guy behind the camera, although they're going to be doing a new show where you're going to step, you're going to reverse roles or something like that, right? Uh, we're actually both on the camera for the next ah, one, okay. which uh, oh. I'm a little less comfortable with, but uh, happy to go <laughs> along and, and do my best. Great, Greg. Okay. So... Guys, uh, the show is great. Uh, I think you guys are both, you know, really humorous and self-effacing, and and you're charming and and, and real natural performers. But uh, what's what's the the superhero origin story here? What's what, <laughs> how did you guys get started? So, uh, how we came to uh, China to teach English for a year uh, out of uh, college, a couple of years out of college, I guess, and uh, came back uh, home and said uh, we'd gone on a bunch of road trips back in college, and he said we've got to do the ultimate road trip. We got to go to China and. And uh, since then, the last 17 years, we've been road tripping China. And I just fell in love with the place as much as he did. Uh, you mentioned the food. The food is the number one. People say, why do you go to China? And I say to eat. Yeah. Uh, it's that simple. And uh, the origin story of the show is we would come home and we'd tell our friends about how great it was and how awesome it was. And they would just sort of look at us and look at a couple photographs and say, yeah, I hope you guys have a good time. Um, so the, the, the show is really intended to bring our love for the country and the culture and the food, expose that to our friends and family, and then to expand that to the, the greater uh, English-speaking community. Right. So we would come home from these trips with... Uh, and we both cook a lot, right? So we'd come home from these trips. You're, all you're actually of, trained, right? You, you I, I went to culinary school. I've been trained as a chef, but the hours would have killed me. And I have a small family now, and uh, I, I'd like to be around for them. So, uh, yes, I, I never became a chef. Uh, but uh, we cook a ton. We're also uh, new cookbook authors, but uh, that'll be uh, uh, brought up later, I'm sure, at some point. But well, we have a recommendation <laughs> section. You can oh recommend ourselves, <laughs> and no, so we we come home with all these wonderful recipes, and we would try to replicate the experiences that we had. Uh -huh. And at some point, we realized that we were cooking all these beautiful banquets for tens of friends. And they were like, wow, this is Chinese food. You're kidding me. This is, no, really? And we'd say, yeah, no, there's more. And we would go on another trip, come back home and do more. And at some point realized that all we've given China, and frankly the rest of the world, are three things, right? Burgers, fried chicken, and pizza. <laughs> and so when yeah. you ask the average person on the street in you name the country, but mostly our concern is China, they say, oh, yeah, McDonald's. That's, that's American, right? KFC. Again, we're mentioning brand names, and maybe I should go back to the generic burgers and fries, <laughs> French fries. Um, yeah. So we would go on these trips, come home and, and consume, and we weren't giving back. And so to help trying to expand at the street level a little culinary diplomacy, we turned the camera on. And so we, we um, thought this would be a great – show for a mass audience and at the time we were not thinking about web we were thinking about tv but our style lends itself to the web a lot more 
Okay, so but you guys actually you have day jobs, both of you. You said you you uh, you you're in academia, right? I, mean, I, I work at the George Washington University. Uh -huh. I'm I'm basically an internal consultant to the faculty, teaching them about uh, online education. Oh, great! And Greg, you're in technology, right? You work in in Silicon Valley. I do. I work at a startup in Silicon Valley. Okay, and and so how do you guys coordinate this? You, you uh, manage the, the magic of technology. Yeah. We. Uh, Phone calls, Skype, uh, uh, just chatting through things and doing it in our personal time. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> what did you come with the idea of? I love the premise of the show, which is it's really mostly to me anyway. It seems like it's an excuse to show a lot of amazing, surrealistically beautiful and complex Chinese food and the cuisine, and then the 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 introducing the American food is a nice, you know, it's a hack. It's a thing. It's a it's a it's MacGuffin. A, yeah, it's device. a MacGuffin, you yeah. know, uh, which is cool. And and then, of course, you have to find the ingredients in the local place, which is nice. Sometimes you can't find cheese, and so you have to make it yourself. And Actually, you know, where did whole, you come up? It, where, it, it's a great idea. It's I a mean, great idea. Where did you come up with this idea? Because if you're just introducing the cuisine to, to you know, foreign guys, it would be strange and bizarre, and it would be like any other show and kind of pretentious. How did you come up with this idea? I mean, because the thing that it, it actually, like, has its own built-in dramatic tension. Yeah, right. Because you actually have to, I mean, you know, it's like, are they going to, to successfully, <laughs> you know, find inspiration from local, are they going to be able to round up the local ingredients? What will they come up with? And are they going to execute? And then finally, it's the big reveal at the end. It's like, are the Chinese going to like their, their this, this you bizarre... Know, jambalaya yeah. or whatever. Yeah. There's often a, a challenge at every stage, right? So there's a challenge for inspiration, a challenge for shopping, and a challenge for the, the actual serving of the dish. But the inspirations, we kind of front load that with going somewhere we've never been or experiencing a style of cuisine in China that we have less experience with. Right. And so where we have a, a plethora of experience with a lot of Chinese foods, uh, we tend to try to find what we don't know yet. But there's inspiration everywhere. Look, we just came back from Pingyao, and Pingyao would be a phenomenal place. Have you ever had Pingyao beef? I've not. I mean, I, I assume it's just this like, kind of lu rou, right? I mean, yeah. just, just jiang, jiang. Pastrami. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastrami. Right. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't know that. You're thinking about doing a Pingyao Rubin? Would be phenomenal. Amazing. Phenomenal. <laughs> we, so, local rye bread. There was a street food, and I had no idea what it was, right? And so, of course, I bit into it. It was a pastrami sandwich inside of a tofu skin. It was <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this country is just so rich um, in its in its as you mentioned earlier in its local cuisines that we do ex we really experience these challenges. These aren't fabricated, right? We we don't really plan a whole lot ahead because we're not great actors. Um, it is really a lot of fun challenging ourselves, going around and tasting the local cuisines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Some of it's born of the trips that we took before we started shooting this stuff. You know, for example, we were in Qingdao and this thing that was wrapped in this big, uh, what looked like a flour tortilla, ended up to be essentially a burrito. There were soybeans, uh, there was rice, there was uh, some permutation of salsa. And wow, we've been into it. My goodness, this is just like a mission style burrito. <laughs> and so uh, we occasionally and actually quite frequently run into situations like that. And uh, that is the spirit in which we enter doing the show as well. You do this. The, the title is Sauced in Translation, which, you know, lost in translation. 
But when I first saw that, I thought, oh, great. They're going to go around the country finding different yeah, kinds hammered. of booze, <laughs> getting smashed, uh, you know. But but We do that, too. We just don't film it. Well, that's what, that's what I'm asking. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the alcohol aspect is such an important part of the cuisine here. Are you and excluding that for some reason? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the Seneca podcast is fueled by this stuff. And I'm grabbing it. Here we are just imbibing. So before you get too drunk, tell me why you left alcohol out of the show. It's not, it's not an intentional exclusion of alcohol. I think that it's, it's more if it makes sense, if it's appropriate. Um, there are examples of Chinese uh, liquors that are a lot like American liquors in the case of uh, Shaoxing wine or, or, or any yellow wine or the, or the Huangzhou. A lot of them on the drier side remind me of sherry. Yeah. Right. We were yeah, just in yeah. Pingyao. Yeah, yeah, actually. We, we, had this... we used sherry to cook mm. with when, when we were in the States when we didn't have the, the, the... If you didn't the, have Wangjiao, right? Huangjiao. That's what I use in my own house when I don't have time to go to the the Chinese market. Yeah. I use dry sherry. Uh, in the case, we were just in Pingyao, and I had perhaps the best liquor I've had in China, and it tasted a lot like a light version of... Jägermeister. <laughs> <laughs> Jägermeister. Gold, yeah. gold uh, Schlager. Yes, you make gold Schlager. It was a very lightly cinnamon tasting right. liker, mm. and it was. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Zhu oh, yeah, Yejing. Yeah, tastes yeah. a lot Zhu like Yejing. gold Schlager. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and so it's not, an, uh, it's not an exclusion by intent, but rather it's, if, it, if it works, if we have to make something that included sherry as an American recipe, uh, that would have, have come out naturally. Mm-hmm. Where we'd run into trouble is perhaps with a, a good tasting red wine if I needed to make a tomato sauce or my grandmother's gravy. But I might go to Changyu if that made sense. Yeah. Where's your grandma from? Uh, she Her family was uh, from Naples. Okay, so Southern Italian. So yes. Great. Yes. Uh, you, you, we talked about these pre-existing beliefs that that people have about American food, and, and I mean, so how, are you surprising the shit out of you? I mean, are you completely turning people around on American food? Is 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 that something you're seeing happening, Greg? Um, the goal of the show isn't really to turn people around on American food. I mean, when we tell people about the show, they often say, "Well, what is American food?" And we just mentioned a couple of cuisines. You know, you go down to the south with the Bayou Cuisines or Pacific Northwest with, uh, you know, fish uh, cooked on a cedar plank. And just mention a few things, even pe- simple things like peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right, mm-hmm. is is a distinctly American thing. Mm-hmm. Which an ex-girlfriend of mine claims to have discovered like, here in China, like, on her own. She's, she claims to have, like, come up with that idea and was surprised to know that it was a thing. <laughs> so there, the, there really is a richness in American cuisine. But really, the, the if you look at the anatomy of a show, we really spend much, much more time exploring the Chinese cuisine, yeah. the Chinese culture, the things we run into in China. We're really creating a show for an American audience to expose them, to give them a, a, an introduction into a part of the world that they maybe haven't seen. We don't spend a lot of time in Beijing. We don't spend a lot of time in Shanghai. You mentioned, you know, smaller cities. Right. That's on purpose. That's where we find the pastrami and tofu skin. That's where we, that's where we find something adventurous and something different to expose that and, American audience. And then the audience. the little snacks, which are very, very, you know, very like more so in the in the smaller areas in Chengdu and these places. Incredible number of small. Yeah. Street food, you know, is, is sort of incredible. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and part of the inspiration of uh, uh, the inspiration part of the show is not only for the American audience to say, "Wow, these are Chinese cuisines." It's a little bit for the Chinese to understand by the time we cook that their cuisine is uh, can be fairly similar mm-hmm. to things that we find in America. Uh, for example, when we cooked uh, chili in Chengdu, 
we had several people tell us, why are you cooking Chinese food? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm, it is, mm-hmm, right. Chili goes down really well with my Chinese friends. Absolutely. Right. It's, 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 there's a lot of mapping. Well, and also, if you go to Dongbei, you might want to make some kind of a stew kind of thing because Dongbei food is just a stew. That's all it is. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's American food. Right. Yes. It's very yeah. heavily influenced yeah. by Russian cuisine. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. It, it is. In fact, when we were in Harbin and we made uh, the uh, chowder yeah, in the, the Daliaba, so we made the chowder in what the Russians left behind, the, the, the sourdough bakeries. That was genius. And, and, and we saw this. On the, on the side of a bus and said, hold on, that's a sourdough bull. Mm-hmm. Hold on a minute, we're going to make... Is it really sourdough, though? Yes, I mean, it it's is. Actually, no, yeah. it's a sourdough. They, oh, wow. They've got years and decades old sourdough starters. Oh, wow. And, and we actually went to, I think it's part of the episode, in fact it is, we went and we, we helped uh, them make some bread, although we failed quite miserably at the process. <laughs> the bread turned out wonderfully from their bakers, and then we took it, dug it out, and made the chowder. And the locals... And you used said, Harbin and Hong Chang, the, the sausage. Yes, right, right, Hong right. Chang, yes. Yeah. And so instead of great sausage, I mean, garlicky, absolutely. really good garlic. Instead of using some other cured pork, we used the, the uh, Hong Chang, which was another influence from uh, northern and western or eastern Europe. I'm surprised they liked the chowder, though, because my experience with making when Chinese was, uh, you know, encountered soup chowder, you know, they would say soup with milk. No, no in, in Dongbei, <laughs> it's, it's totally acceptable. Yes. Yeah, so when we what's were, another, what's another example? Well, go ahead. One of the one of the surprises to us is walking through the malls in Harbin. They had stands that were not small stands, not mom and pop stands, but they were chains of uh, like a Starbucks, but serving hot milk. Yeah. Like fresh hot milk. They were huge hot canisters. Milk, yes, but not in soup. That's what but, I'm saying. What, no, is, what, is, what, is, what is soup but hot milk? Hot, yeah. Yeah, but right? No, no, no. Because Chinese has this notion of qing tang and, you know. What well, nai tang is a thing, though. Nai, I mean, people, Where? In China? I've never had it. I, I, I know that, like, I mean, when I started making that for mm-hmm. my wife, she said, no, I, I know how to make this. I've done this. I mean, huh. okay. It was surprisingly to us not a large leap for the locals to watch us buy the cream and the milk but to then take it with them to a hot pot restaurant and in the hot pot instead of just having hot pot and, you know, swimming the lamb, but to actually cook in that hot pot this that we added milk to. And they were enthralled and it was great. Yeah. I would say in that episode, for example, the thing that was most foreign to them was the idea of the bread and the soup being together. Right. Which yeah, to right. an American, I mean, part of this is about like cross, cross-cultural diplomacy is how we mentioned earlier. <laughs> so this idea of like bread and soup going together, you know, did he crumble any crackers? I mean, it, it, it's in our blood, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. But, but, but for them, this idea of, of having the soup in the bread, it was crazy. They were, so, of course. There's yeah. been this weird uh, iteration of that that I've started to see in restaurants all over China. I saw it in Xi'an, and then I, it started it, it, off at the at green tea. Here green, in yeah, the, the green green tea restaurant has a cube of bread with right. they've hollowed out, hollowed out, and with ice cream in it. <laughs> that would be like delicious. Vanilla, <laughs> vanilla ice cream and yeah. fresh baked bread. It's really yeah, good. it's very really popular. would be delicious. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. At the end of this, the the chowder episode, uh, we all consumed in bowls spooning into little bowls the chowder and they ate the soup and then we taught them how to take the soaked bread and dip it in whatever was left or just take the bread and rip it and eat it yeah and they were surprised one woman that we were eating with took the entire bowl that we had left over 
and carefully, carefully wrapped it in plastic and brought it home to her mother, who <laughs> loves the bread and loves fish, and was going to be so surprised that she was eating an American dish made here Salt in Harbin. Yeah. Yeah. And by uh, then, I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah, by right. the time she got home, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. the, the most, um, the one that I enjoyed the most was watching you guys in Chile and in Yunnan, which is a city I've never, not not just never been to, but never even really heard of. <laughs> I, I'm so, but but obviously, uh, McDonald's had heard of it. So you guys had, <laughs> managed, that was that was interesting. So that was that was a real twist. So, um, set this up for me. You guys decided, you know, you saw this delicious. Ham. So Yunnan is full of great. Well, ham. yeah. So uh, we had this idea to go down to Yunnan. We we traveled. Not with the show, but just ourselves down to Yunnan before, and just love the place. Um, and uh, we decided to find where's you know where's Yunnan ham, where's the the heart place of it, and it was this this Chilean. And so we show up there. We'd never been there. Um, we knew what the ham tasted like because we tasted it elsewhere. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah, um, and you know how we love southern food, um, and so this idea of uh, just tasting that ham, it just came natural to him. And but but there were other things like the grits. We we had no idea going in that we would make grits. That came out of the blue. Um, but the local chefs were playing around with corn dishes. Yeah. Uh, this guy even made a uh, a corn cob made of mashed potatoes covered in pine nuts. Right. So it had no corn in it, but it was one of his specialty dishes. It looked like an ear of corn, and so. Um, you know, we just on the fly. I mean, as, as the show, as I said, we are horrible actors and not very good writers. So we we just put ourselves in weird, odd situations <laughs> and hope that you catch crazy things camera. happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, that turned out great. I mean, you got this this the red eye gravy, and you had to hunt around for coffee, and all they had was you know the <laughs> coffee is yeah. hard to find in well, Yunnan province. So there's a, there's a funny there. twist <laughs> at the end of the story, which is this. So we at the beginning, very briefly, we started uh, to try to find coffee because all of a sudden we wanted to make red eye gravy, and which is you know ham drippings and, and coffee usually served with uh, country ham. Tried to find coffee, tried to find coffee, found dry Nescafe packets. No, not going to do. We had to find brewed coffee. We did see in previous days a coffee shop. Yeah, but I saw And we was, went up to the close. door at 10 a.m. because we had to cook at one in this kitchen that was really humbly offered to us. And it was closed. It opened at 4 p.m. <laughs> Where in the world can you find a coffee shop that opens at 4 p.m.? China. That's the answer. When we were flying home from Kunming, there's entire walls of Yunnan coffee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very yeah. famous, right. apparently, but unbeknownst That's to but us. Not in, not in, not in Chile, though. Not in Chile. Not in Chile. It was, and that wasn't staged. I mean, <laughs> let the record show. We really walked up to that door expecting, oh, we'll buy coffee. That's the easy part, right? And that became the heart of the episode <laughs> just in reality. But, you know, I, mean, if, uh, I, I, know, I know my way around, you know, Chinese third-tier city grocery stores, and butter would have been the difficult ingredient. Mm. Where did you guys get that? Did you have to go to a hotel and raid the little... No, I, I, the kitchen had ghee. Really? This like was in... This was in. Butter. This was in... Exactly. So we were in, uh, you know, east of Kunming, but it's a third-tier city. In a third-tier city, as you well know, there are several million people in a third-tier right, city right. in China. So a, China, a Chinese city that no one's ever heard of outside of China has more people than the third a, largest city in a America. Thir- a third-tier city in China is Chicago. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the chef the, being that close to, well, that southwest in China, 
uh, had ghee. We didn't expect it. We asked for butter. He's like, I don't have butter, but here you go. We're like, that's ghee. It's that's ghee. Yeah. That'll yeah. work. That's mm-hmm. nuts. That's going to be delicious and grits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as, 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 you know, I keep harping on this, we thought maybe, we thought maybe butter would be hard to find, but it turned out that wasn't it. It was the easy thing. It, as it frequently happens in China, right? Like the, the, the thing that you think is going to be hard is easy right. and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I noticed that at the end of every episode, you know, they seem to, they all like it. They all get thumbs up and they say, it's delicious, you know, and everything, you know. Surely you must, did you have any failures or can, or can you imagine what a failure would be? With, there's some things that just surely don't work. Or people are just too polite to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we've been around China enough to know that that, that, that nuanced line between I'm being very hospitable and I really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. We had one gentleman, very good example in Chengdu, and I'm not sure whether this was in the outtakes or in the real show. I have to, I have to watch again. Which, by the way, the outtakes are the funniest part Why, of the show. You. I think personally anyway. in Chengdu, we talked about Snooki a little bit too much, but yeah. that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are from New Jersey. I am from New Jersey, and I understand where Snooki came from. Uh, but uh, there was one gentleman who said, I like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I like it, but I really don't like it. And so he walked that line, yeah, but I yeah. think that we, we understood that it probably wasn't his taste. That's, that's but surprising. That's the chili, though, right? I mean, It was, and we made it fairly spicy, okay. and it may have been just it, 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 he did not like that much spice. Okay. I don't know. Who, who, who fucks you doing limited interest? Exactly. Let me move in. I know from Chengdu food. I mean, I've been there. I've gone there before and, and, and idly boasted about my ability to tolerate a little bit of, you know, the, the heat. And I ended up walking away from the meal eating, having eaten like a fucking manto. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was like weapons grade. I mean, it, was like, it was like they were like there to put me in my place. It was like you know, millions of Scoville units. It was scary. Yeah, love, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the scene when you hold the the, the, the Chinese car, cutting knife, you know, that cleaver, you know. Yeah. It's a sense of power when you wield this cleaver, you know. But that that's that, that there's a couple interesting things about using these Chinese tools in the equipment and everything to make western dishes you've had some trouble with the heat of the, of the woks you know well, which is like cooking in these like restaurants I mean, they've got the, the, the supernova the heat burner, right? yeah, yeah well yeah. It, it is it is the jet fuel it is the jet fuel man and it just keeps firing up and it's it's an intimidating fire i'm a right. chef what's what's the btu so what are we talking about here? <laughs> uh, we're probably talking about i mean greg help me it's, out here it's, it's in the hundreds of thousands yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's in the hundred hundred and fifty thousand like, you know, like a good cases. viking stove sixteen thousand BTUs. right yeah. right yeah and no matter how many times i experience that stove it always surprises me how scared i am so we we don't normally make food that way we put the you know macaroni and cheese will will, will vaporize if you do that yeah the, there's an example of, of <laughs> there's an example of how that flame helped us out in uh, the jambalaya episode in Suzhou because the pilot light is what we ended up leaving on in December. <laughs> yeah. The pilot light was plenty of jambalaya. I just rotated the wok every five minutes for it to cook properly. There's this simmer. But, but what do they do when they want to need to do like a you know a simmered dish? I mean, they, surely there's some cooking service they use that. They actually do have either a, a, a very low burner that's a Western style burner right. mm. off to the side for simmers, or they have a long cook and they have a slow cooker but somewhere. It, it depends on the restaurant because down in Yunnan, I just don't. I don't think they make long simmer dishes because that stove we did the grits on was a Western style stove. It wasn't the the. 
you know, the pits of hell kind of cauldron. <laughs> Anybody who's been in a Chinese kitchen knows what I'm oh, talking man, about. That things. that loud, hot, endless <sighs> pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It end up, it did end up ha- uh, starting a problem there it, because it, it did burn the bottom layer of grits. Yeah, and and that was and that was the that was the flat Western stove, right? But you know, when we got up into Dongbei, there where they do do the long simmering dishes, they have different stoves, sure. different settings, um, and so those kinds of things have less of a problem. Now, again, because we're more focused on an American audience, we focus a little bit less on those kinds of deep subtleties between the regions, more on the food, more on the food things. Yeah, there's this like this don't try this at home aspect of Chinese cuisine. You know, when I used to watch cooking shows like, you know, Julia Child, you take the beef out of it. If you watch it and write it down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, the best. Good good, good. good reference. (laughs) But But if you watch those shows and write it down, you could then go to your kitchen and just do that. But I watch these Chinese cooking shows. And first of all, I couldn't cut up the you know the potatoes like they do you know the teeny tiny like you know strings and I you couldn't do the heat you know the the, the wok and everything it's the, the, that's like a difference between Chinese and cuisine I mean Chinese cuisine the, the the cooks who do that this is this is not for kids this is not for you amateurs yeah, this is yeah, really yeah. really pro but you know stuff, you right? know your way around I mean you you're, you're good with knife I see you you've got chops as they say right? thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Although I got to tell you, when I'm doing two dose, right? I'm doing the very, very thin potatoes. I use my ma- French mandolin. So See? Uh, there you go. See? And it produces perfect two dose. No, I think you were pretty good. But when I saw you chopping there, I mean, it wasn't. It didn't look like you can tell. You know, it doesn't look like a Chinese. I, you know, it's dose. fun doing the ground meat with two cleavers. That's a blast. <laughs> yeah. That is a blast. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but to some extent, that exposes that even Howie, who has the the knife training of a of a Western chef. Um, to me, that really shows an appreciation for what these, you know, sixteen-year-old boys in the backs of these family kitchens are able to I mean, put together yeah, yeah. with two cleavers, you know, a, a, a tree stump, yeah. and a and a and a ladle, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and and seven little containers of mystery sauce. It's amazing, and they put together this amazing, amazing. food oh, amazing. that I can never replicate. You'll notice we don't try to make the Chinese dishes. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate the Chinese dishes because that is that is some tough stuff. I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wants to show us, if somebody out there in the in the Seneca world wants to, uh, you know, uh, volunteer to, to show Howie and I it, how to make a... It's genetic. Yeah. It's genetic. I don't know. Absolutely. Like a perfect <laughs> Yushang sauce. There's, 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 there's no getting around the genetic <laughs> Whenever we've been lucky enough to be in a Chinese uh, a restaurant kitchen, I've always had the chef standing over one of my shoulders uh, just being careful that I'm not messing myself up. <laughs> Although I do have a problem with the, the height of a Chinese uh, uh, hood oh, yes. above the stove. <laughs> because I bump into it and it quite... Painful. Yeah. So, what, what's what's been the biggest hit you've? I mean, the, the the universal acclaim that you've 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 had from one of your your dishes that you put together. Wow. Okay. So, chili in Chengdu was dead on solid good. Yeah. yeah. Everyone loved it. In fact, there was uh, several people who asked us, uh, perhaps on camera, are we going to do this <clears throat> next week? Can you write down the recipe? I've got to bring this home. There was a, a, a probably a fourteen year old boy who came to us after school and said. I, I don't really want to try this. I have to go home and have dinner. He left in 20 minutes and he came back and he said, what my mother made was worse than this. Please give me <laughs> some of your food. So, I mean, you can, I've, I've done chili before and, and I, I've, I've noticed that what, what makes the difference for, for uh, like perfect acceptability 
is the level of of cumin and oregano. Like if you if you if you put cumin in, I mean if you sort of put very specifically Mexican spices in in, uh, it, it, they you get a little bit of that kind of um, you know the, you're wandering into exotic territory mm-hmm. for for a lot of the mm-hmm. Chinese palate, but. If you stick to the real basics, yeah. if it's just chili powder, I mean, like straight up chili powder, mm. or, or 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 you know pureed chilies, and the beef and the onions and the garlic and and, and what whatnot, you 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 you're pretty safe. Yeah. What did you, did you guys spice it up at all? Did you we guys did. Spice, we actually we we challenged ourselves a little bit because we we both love cumin. Yeah. Cumin and cumin to me defines chili. Yeah. The chili that I make, and so since we were in Chengdu, we were able to find an entire street of uh, Muslim shopkeepers yeah. that had uh, the spices that we were looking for. So we found za'atar yeah. uh, to replace the oregano kind of taste, although there were some sesame seeds in our chili. We ignored that. And <laughs> then we also found za'atar, or cumin, and we loaded up with that as well. And we did buy four or five different types of chili powders because we honestly didn't know the real differences between them. Mm-hmm. And we were on a time crunch, and we said, we don't know what's going to work just, best. Uh, Let's I, go I always, it. yeah, I, I always just you know do a medley of different chilies yep. when I do any chili. With cumin, though, I mean, in, here in Beijing, it's become pretty goddamn ubiquitous. I mean, you can't sure. buy a roasted yeah. fish that's not like, it's like they it, it overdo it, though. I mean, I think I, it's it's possible to overdo it, just like the way some people overdo rosemary now, which is just really annoying to me. Or allspice. Allspice. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Any use of rosemary is overdoing in my book, I, I know, and so I'm Greek, and so. Greek. <laughs> <laughs> rosemary has its proper place, and it I, should be basically brushed off I, after to, with I, olive oil and lemon and I, I, garlic on, on a lamb leg. I agree. Fine. On a roast chicken, very, very little. Mm. But yeah, yeah, rosemary is just over, overpowering. If if I wanted to eat a pine tree, I'd, I'd head out to the yeah, forest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there but you go. Another one that, that occurs to me, um, and again, I don't want to hit any spoilers, but uh, we made a hell of a BLT. Oh, yeah? And that one uh, had some very nice acclaim. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the third part of that is yet to be released. Yeah, I haven't seen that one so, yet. So uh, you haven't seen the reaction. So mm. spoiler alert. What what is one hell of a BLT? Oh, there are, <laughs> bacon, <laughs> lettuce, in, tomato. Uh, what was the secret? Because so, I can only think of three ingredients. So bread <laughs> is tough. Yeah. I mean, it's good bread. Be- oh, oh. So you right. just you just ha- okay? Go ahead. And and <laughs> bacon. Um, you can find pork belly, right? Yeah, but it's not the same thing. You not the same. Not the same thing. It has to be cured. It has to be seasoned. So it has how to be did flavored? You, so I don't want to spoil it, but how, you're just saying you were able to reproduce these. Yeah. These also things. mayonnaise, which is an important part oh, of a BLT. That you is... can't just pick that up in a market on Shishan no, Island. No, no, so, no. Uh, you know, we did this in a remote place where there was no Carrefour. You know, no wall. No. no uh, 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 supermarkets to Where go into to it, challenge yeah. ourselves. Mayonnaise yeah. is makeable. I mean, you just, it is. That's it what is. we ended up doing. But yeah. there's one big part of mayo that we did not have: Which a is. balloon whisk. Oh. <laughs> okay, so there, 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 so that the, the BLT is a good example because that was uh, well acclaimed. It was well received, uh, but the mayo, the bacon. Uh, and the bread were tough. Bread we found, but bread in China, if it's bagged and, and sliced looking like white bread or American white bread, it's sweet, right? So we had right. to get over that challenge. We had to, to surpass the, the bacon challenge by buying pork belly and doing a, a, a hopeful quick cure mm-hmm. overnight. Oh, wow. Quick. Yeah. That's very quick. But we realized, we ended up realizing that it met the Chinese palate a little bit better than perhaps an American style bacon would be, or, yeah, right. right. Not overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelmingly smoky, over uh, overwhelmingly sweet, or overwhelmingly salty, but it was unctuous and it melted in the mouth, mm. which with crispy lettuce and a fresh tomato worked 
incredibly well. The mayo we ended up using, I don't know if you saw the, that part of the episode, but I ended up using like Edward Scissorhands uh, style chopsticks, <laughs> four of them, and right. trying, and to, trying to, to replicate the action of a balloon whisk. Where are the balloon whisks in China? Yeah, that's, that's my one. 13 year old me got really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and, I. I and I, you're making Parmesan cheese, too, with, well, with, with raw milk. Uh, yeah, well, so I didn't make Parmesan. So eggplant Parmesan is interesting. I won't bore you with the entire history, but it doesn't always have to be Parmesan cheese that's in it. Uh, eggplant Parmesan is, is from Parma, but it doesn't always have to have Parmesan cheese in it. Americans all believe it. We all use American right. uh, Parmesan cheese or Italian Parmesan cheese. So you cheese made some it. kind of quasi-ricotti. I, I, I tried a, a, to a make paneer. mozzarella. A, a paneer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, tried, I, I made essentially a uh, somewhere between a mozzarella and a ricotta because yeah. I tried to make mozzarella, but the uh, proteins in the even the non-shelf-stable uh, Chinese milk right, the UHD didn't have enough milk. protein to produce long strands. Uh, and so I ended up uh, making small curds, but man, was it delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I make that stuff. I mean, I make like paneers all the time, just like little sort of farmer's cheeses. Yeah, it's possible. You can buy rennet here, and you can, you can actually like... Yeah. Know, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my uh, thing, my my. I mean, I, I I vibe with you guys on the. I I'm I'm constantly trying to to uh, to get my Chinese friends to love Mexican food, because you know I grew up in Arizona <laughs> and I'm pretty damn. You've you've been my David. You've been to my house for dinner sure. for Mexican yeah. meals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm I'm you know I'm okay, huh? Yeah, for a gringo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I think I'm pretty pretty good at 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 at, at like border Mexican food, like Sonoran-style Mexican food. Yeah. And uh, I have had a, a 100% success. I mean, like, like multiple servings back for more. And the thing that they, they love and they're always surprised that they love is my refried beans. And, man, have you guys, have you guys, have you guys tried to... Cause Where did now, you find the beans? Because we they, looked they hard. Everywhere. They're, they're called Hua Yundou. Mm. Hua Yundou. And they've got them everywhere. They're real pinto beans. And they're usually, actually... Um, if you buy beans in Mexico, chances are they're from China. Okay, they, they export a ton of of, of news to beans me. To, to so <laughs> Greg doesn't remember this. This is uh, I think he probably went to the restroom because we had just had a great meal the night before in Yunnan, and who knows what happens, right? You're in China. What happens in China stays in China, often inside of a tzuwa. Okay. Um, that's, that's a great little joke. Anyway, so uh, we did actually find and use. Uh, the 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 oh, red pinto yeah. beans oh, no, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. Yunnan. Yeah. Uh, we use them for uh, veggie burgers, which is That's an episode right. that we haven't yet uh, Aired, yeah. produced. That's yeah. right. We ended up using mushrooms and because it was Yunnan mm-hmm. and, and and beans, and it was a surprise because we walked into this market. I walked in and saw these things, and they were steaming in a bowl because mm-hmm. they had just mm-hmm. uh, steeped them overnight. I said, "Is that a is that a pinto bean?" Yeah. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. That was something that was handed to us because I was trying to figure out. Now we decided on doing veggie burgers. How the hell am I going to uh, bind these things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was so my you, answer. You need something viscous like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it, not not unlike the the attempts to do and your successful attempts to do the refried beans. I could totally see how that works. Yeah, yeah. It does. It it works really well. Um, I mean, because what's what's in it? I mean, it's it's. I I, I like to do mine with a lot of onions and garlic. Uh, just boiled away in there, and you can kind of reduce the lard ne- necessary to make them taste lard. Yeah, trick I learned from a, a Mexican chef, C- Central American style with yeah. a lot of onions. Yeah, yeah, yeah Salvadoran. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. One thing I've noticed in cuisine, Chinese cuisine, 
there's a there's a lack of what we would uh, I mean just you and were just just the original flavor I mean I mean some something like a steak is not something that that's yeah. part of Chinese cuisine right. or just taking the chicken you know like my mom used to make chicken and just put a little salt on it and put in a, you know nothing but oil and, and salt and chicken and then we, you like you know, that's some people we like that we like the original raw yeah, yeah, you know no, 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 no. how come that's I mean Chinese would think what you haven't done anything that's not cooking <laughs> I, I have to disagree with that I, I think so we were uh, in this small town on Shishan Island uh, west of Suzhou and this restaurant in which we cooked uh, not on not on um, the restaurant in which we cooked the BLTs uh, the staff cooked us a meal after we were done cooking uh, hey, thank you for coming and serving our guests kind of thing. And three ingredients. A chicken, water, salt. Four, scallions. Okay. That's it. Very low temperature. I bet you there was some ginger. Six hours. <laughs> I promise you. I, 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 I searched that thing, and I've actually replicated it at home. That tasted like chicken, and that broth was the most pure chicken broth I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Ever, ever had. But I actually see the opposite as you. And maybe maybe we've just uh, uh, tended toward the more complex for you and more simple for me. But I think the Chinese tend to try to make something taste like the ingredient. Um, uh, Hupi Qingjiao. Right, that tastes yeah. like a, like green, a pepper. green pepper. That's 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 true. That's one example of a... That's true. That's true. Yeah. Really, yeah. really pure. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So you guys are doing another show. I mean, I just uh, just shift gears really quickly, right? Sure. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit, what the next show is? And it's not a food show, right? Yeah. So uh, we're working with the Asia Society uh, to create a show called Chinese in Plain English. Uh, we just finished our one-week shoot of that show. Mm -hmm. So we're a little bit bleary-eyed tonight. Uh, and uh, the purpose of this show is, uh, again, going back to the origin story, Whenever Howie and I come home and tell people, hey, we traveled throughout China, that they always look astonished, like, like we went to Mars. Like, <laughs> how could you possibly travel in China? Um, and the answer is, how can you travel in France if you don't speak French? Or how can you travel in Italy if you don't speak Italian? You pantomime, you make do, you make mistakes, and you muddle your way through, just like, like any place else. And granted, it's a little bit harder in China, but with phones and, and modern translations, and English is becoming, you know, find a 15-year-old, you know? Right, exactly. And, and um, so the idea that, uh, that we have for the show is to expose people to traveling uh, through Beijing first and then through Pingyao, where we just came from, you know, pretty remote area. Uh, with only English, how can you get by with only English? Ah, interesting. Um, and uh, you know some of the things again, like the like the uh, food shows. Some of the things we expected to be difficult were easy, and vice versa. So we had some great challenges. Um, again, focused on an audience, uh, probably unlike the listeners to this show, an audience that isn't so familiar with China. Um, but might still be entertaining for the watchers of this show to see, you know, to see the the silliness we get involved in. How, how's that going to be distributed? It's Asia Society's going to, you know, because you know they reach people all the time who aren't interested in China, right? Yeah, yeah they they have got a they've got a segment of the Asia Society called the China Learning Initiatives, right? And they recently wanted to start a series of videos. They they've got a, a series of videos called the Great Law of China, uh, which is a comedian here in Beijing. Yeah, Jesse, uh, Jesse, Jesse Appel. Absolutely. He's, so, a, he's my student. There you he's go. He's done our podcast before. Yeah, he has. Oh, yeah. Go. And so his, his video is number one in that list, and, and Chinese in plain English will be number two uh, right after the Spring Festival this year. 
Oh, awesome. Wow. Great. Awesome. awesome. Great. Although, uh, you ask if it's uh, food related at all, and we do have one episode in which we try <laughs> to eat the entire country of China in one day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, that it's hurt. not easy. <laughs> <laughs> You. What, what do you guys? Um, if you have a, a favorite food province in China, uh, w- what would it be? I mean, is there one place? I mean, I, I we started off David and I talking about like if we had to limit ourselves to one national cuisine. If you had one Chinese provincial cuisine, you'd have to go to for the rest of your life. Sichuan. Yeah, 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 that's the yeah. easy answer. Okay, so let's let's rule Sichuan it's out. Easy. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> everyone, okay. everyone okay, says that's Sichuan. Fair. That's everyone, fair. No, no, that's so fair. seriously, everyone, everyone I, I've ever asked this we'll question to will always yeah. say Sichuan. Yeah, I'm gonna go Dongbei. Wow, interesting. I'm going to go Dongbei. Well, that's where I had my first uh, uh, wooing with Chinese food and fell in love with it. And, uh, yeah, that's to this day. I still cook it at home. Uh, Yeah, Dongbei is is cookable by, you know, if, like, you can drink... Cook Dongbei Thai in a drunken stupor because it's just, it's just <laughs> elegant. There's, there's, there's no is, fine. There's no fine technique. It's like nothing. fistfuls of this and and roughly. As, <laughs> as I segments. Of, as I said, it re- Kaiser, do you have an opinion about Dongbei food? I, I'm not quite clear on this. But as I said, it, it, it resembles American food. Yeah, it's, well, you described it perfectly. It, uh, yeah, rough hewn. Right, just right. just it's, toss it in and and stew it. Yeah, and see what happens. See what happens. Well, I mean, you know, they had some of the best sauerkraut in the world yes yes let's absolutely. go there right yeah, yeah, and absolutely. uh and the when i was living there, there and uh, you know way pre-sauce and translation i tried to figure out what what american dishes we could try to replicate because living there we tried to uh living there we tried to replicate some of the tastes of home by ordering in a macgyver kind of style at a restaurant mm-hmm. and so things like uh uh pie we would order jaji pie and it came out like shake and bake Jazzy pie, yeah, delicious. So, yeah, yeah, right. so I, 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 I but, love that. I love MacGyver. I mean, I, I kind of miss the unavailability of things when, when improvisation was just necessary. Let's talk about produce. So you guys spend a lot of time like looking at Chinese produce. That's got to be. I mean, I, I fucking love. I, I live right across the street from this morning market, and I, I love going there. I just love. I mean, it's 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 crazy, huh? Yeah. Greg, I, this is the thing that separates eating in China from eating in the States. Because Howie's mentioned a couple times, we go home and we make these dishes. We go back into the kitchens. We learn from the chefs. We make these dishes at home. And it's it's not just the fact that we're not trained and, and apprenticed in Chinese cookery. It's, it's the produce. It's the meat. It's the fact right. that this thing was in a field growing mm-hmm. yesterday, was put on a wooden cart and dragged in, or nowadays in a truck, right? I mean, things have changed in the past 10 years. But, but even still... Everything is the soldier of the person dragging it in has <laughs> right, right. I mean, the the difference is when when I'm you know I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and so if I go to the Safeway or the even the the Whole Foods and pay ten times more, um, there is still a Whole Foods uh, warehouse that houses that head of lettuce for about six weeks uh, in an in an argon chamber or something right. to per, to preserve it before I get my teeth on it and my tongue on it. And here that just doesn't happen. That isn't part of the culture. The freshness of the vegetables, the freshness of the meat, the freshness of, of... of the beer, I mean, that's really what stands out. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah. There's also, you mentioned, uh, it's my experience too, everywhere you go, every region, you get some stuff thrown on the table, and there's some kind of green vegetable, 
and I, you know, I, I'm usually taking uh, students or tour groups or something, you know, and, and they say, hmm, this is, this is what, what is this? And I said, it's a green vegetable. <laughs> because I don't, I've never seen it before. Yeah. It's probably weeds yeah. growing on the side of the road it's, it's that they picked. a species of watercress. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, th- that seems to be a feature of produce. Pro- yeah. it's, it's an amazing variety of just vegetables that, that we don't have in the United States. Yeah, funny story about the jambalaya episode of Sauced is we were on this island that had this special vegetable called wenwento. Wenwento. Wen which anywhere else in China, no one ever knows what it is, and it's a very unique roadside, or actually in this case, yeah. lakeside yeah. weed that yeah. grows. And we thought we would, it was so cute and small, and it tasted <laughs> it good slimy? and a little bit yeah. bitter. No, no, no not no, at all. Okay. A little bit bitter, and we thought we would use it as a garnish on top of the jambalaya. Ah. We oh, would nice. serve, and, and everyone that grabbed a bowl of jambalaya pushed it to the side, because it was raw, and ate the jambalaya. And where we see something that is raw as salad, right? Yeah. They see something as raw <laughs> as barbaric. <laughs> exactly. But when went to is a brilliant example. Yeah. What is that? What is that? Yeah. Well, we'll try to use it. No, no, yeah. no, no. It is yeah. delicious. If anybody I mean, heads out I to think, Shishan Island, like what's the, the English name for kungshin Tai? You guys encountered that. Hollow hearted greens. Hollow-hearted greens. Hollow-hearted That's what it's yeah. called. That's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. Hollow yeah. heart greens. Spinach, water, it sounds like a translation of the Chinese. Water spinach. Swamp spinach. In the U.S., they call it water spinach, and I don't really get it. You can find these things if you go in certainly in Northern California where there's a huge uh, Chinese population, there are farms dedicated to growing these Chinese greens. So you go to a 99 ranch or something, and they do have, you know, 30 different types of greens. So not at the Safeway. Um, and, and they're fresh, and they're and they're great. Um, there, there are these culture revolution nostalgia restaurants in Beijing where you can get all these different kinds of, of just green vegetables, which is really just stuff. It, it just is weeds. I mean, when you're when you're starving during you know the Great Leap Forward or whatever, it's like I wonder if we can eat this, you know. And you <laughs> take it and take it home and like marinate it or well, something. And you find it actually it's an edible. Yeah. It reminds me of of that of that dish that we had that was the moss the soup. It was a chicken soup. With a moss-covered um, three-handled family gordanza. No, it was a moss. <laughs> it was a moss-covered meatball. Um, so this was how long in had it been in the refrigerator? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it was uh, a fascinating dish. It right? was so delicious. It was a little in a little crock, and and as soon as the chef opened to show us, we thought, oh, we're gonna eat what looks like moss. Just <laughs> it looks like plain soft tree moss. <laughs> and. Uh, it only on the north and, side and of the tree. In the kitchen, when he first served it to us, we both—I I, I certainly took a sip of the, of the broth, and it was delicious. The best chicken broth I ever tasted. He served at the table, and I thought, "We're about to eat moth." <laughs> and it was only after I got into the second layer of moth that I realized there's something in the middle. And somehow they surrounded a meatball with moth, and it was bad. <laughs> Highly recommended. Oh, Go out to your local forest, grab some moss off the oak tree. Throw it in your soup. Highly recommend. All right, wow. That is a good recommendation. And and let, let's let's move now. I mean, since we're out of time, and this is great. I mean, first of all, remind us now where can we see the show? Couple it's on places. Video, right? Okay. Yeah, a couple of places. You can go directly to saustintranslation dot com. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We probably prefer for a social aspect to go to Facebook and search on Sauce and Translation. It's got mm-hmm. its own page. Like it. We'll always present new material there and the historic episodes. Uh, or on Twitter, you can uh, look at my at Howie Southworth. Mm-hmm. H O W I E S O U T H W O R T H. That was really not clear. H O W I E S O U T H W O R T H. Howie Southworth. Uh, and I'll always 
pitch uh, things there as well. Cool, cool. Yeah, the idea with that is we still have uh, a few more episodes that we have shot and yet to release. So if you go to Sauced in Translation or to the Facebook page, you watch a couple, you like what you see, and you want to see some new upcoming episodes, uh, how he does update the uh, Facebook feed and the Twitter feed so you can get the latest and greatest. Awesome. Oh, great. David, start us off with recommendations. Uh, it's a new video by Sharon Lovell called Drinking the Northwest Wind, which mm. I think is from feeding the yeah. she, but drinking like Huashibeifeng, because it's about the South to North Water Redistribution ah, Project, right. uh, which which uh, is a amazingly undercovered story. I mean, there, you can see new information about it everywhere, but it's, I find it un, strangely... Invisible in the news, it's an incredible infrastructure. Yeah, it's a amazing infrastructure project. But this particular video it captures the plight of those downstream in the south, where the water is being taken from, and how their lives have been disrupted, and how they've been moved, d- displaced, and um, another undercovered story. The biased Western media, which always looks at the negative side. <laughs> yes, of the right. Story. Exactly. <laughs> sounds like a, as a native Californian, sounds like. Uh, a bit like our uh, our water plan. Yes. Yeah. Great book, Cadillac Desert, that yeah. talks about that a whole lot. Yeah, right. Exactly. By the way, it's a, it's it's a very good, uh, it's a very well edited film, a, a, a very effective film. And uh, before we uh, getting back to you, you guys, I mean, uh, these episodes I think are edited extremely well. Yeah, how are you? Doing how the you're doing the editing, yeah. right? I'm doing all the editing. Well, I mean, man, the editing is superb. Why, thank you. It, it's crisp. It's light. All the scenes, you know, just jump out. They're they're, they're just beautifully edited. You should see all the outtakes. <laughs> well, I, the outtakes, as I said, are the funniest part. I could watch. I, you should just put put a completely. Uh, uh, there's a, a Vimeo site of, of only outtakes. There's an entire hilarious. series of Sauce and Translation After Dark that you'll probably <laughs> oh, never see. Okay, right. <laughs> and that is my recommendation. Thank you, David. Howie, why don't you start us? I think go, go next. Absolutely. This is an oldie but a goodie from a couple of weeks ago, and we've been in China for a couple of weeks, but uh, uh, there's an article in Vogue. No. On Baijiu. Yes, I've heard of it. Oh, really? yeah. Right? Have you heard about no, this no, article in Vogue it, on Baijiu? No. Baijiu has by? gotten to Vogue. Wow. Oh, that's right. It, but Baijiu is now becoming popular in the United so States. Yes, ba- it's called Baijiu, the world's most consumed liquor you've probably never mm-hmm. heard of by Jennifer Conrad. It was from December 17th, and uh, I read it in a series of other articles. Because you're a Vogue subscriber. Right? Uh, no, but it popped into my alert, my Google alert, uh-huh. my Baidu alert. Sorry, did I say Google? Uh, my, it popped into my alert stream for Baijiu. I'm always interested in Baijiu. He hates Baijiu. I, I have an affinity Baijiu. for yeah, it yeah. Oh, because there are, are there are levels of Baijiu that I appreciate. Anyway, so it's interesting to did me. You, did that you try the recommendation that Matt Sheehan made on the show to that, that lemon mix Baijiu with, with, yeah, with, with that, that, that lemon drink? I, with that, it's his drink. It's a I mean, shandy. He, he drinks this. Yeah, no, it's a shandy. <laughs> it's a shandy, but a Baijiu shandy. He he he, hey, he was we were, he was over at my house last night, and I was you know trying to. We were drinking like good single malt scotches. He has no appreciation for this because he drinks by Joe Shandy for like, <laughs> like seven yuan or something. Like there are chefs that yeah. I, I'm sorry. There are mixologists that are uh, getting creative, and yeah. so this article it's now uh, apparently gotten to the level of being acceptable in vogue to talk about uh, a Chinese liquor. It's so I think that it's it's more of a, a commentary on uh, something is going to hit in America and probably not because most Americans don't know about Baijiu and if they learn about Baijiu they will absolutely abhor Baijiu yeah, it's, it's a very it special palate to even start to appreciate it and so the fact that I recommend this means recommend, uh, read it and be surprised by the fact that it's even in vogue you like 
Baijiu generally have a palate that's already been destroyed by Baijiu. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's that's the secret of be of liking it is right. you first have to completely destroy your palate and then you can't even like it, right? Yeah. Hey, there are some good Baijiu. Greg Matza. <laughs> Greg Matza, what, what you got for us, man? So uh, as I mentioned, we've been traveling uh, pretty heavily over the past couple of weeks. Um, and so I'll just tell you what I've been reading, which is uh, – uh, rereading some Oliver Sacks books. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just because just, great, just died. Just, just died, because died, died, his died, recent passed. passing reminded me of these great books. A uh, man who mistook his wife for a hat. Yeah, that's and, a great one. Uh, seeing voices, which is in, it, it, it's not as well known. It, it followed a uh, man who mistook, and it, to my, it, it's, well, I grew up in a in a uh, uh, in an area where our our school was a magnet for the uh, deaf, so um, it was it was really good and it's bite-sized sort of case histories an incredible storyteller um he is he was he was was. and and uh you know i think there must be five different people working on his biography right now such a life that man led and didn't do the radio lab shows about about him where he's on i mean because he he is that's those are great yeah one of my favorite podcasts excellent excellent i mean radio lab as a as a podcast excellent recommendation and i've heard the one about oliver Sacks, but i just there's two there's one that he did very recently where he actually uh it, it was like a kind of a deathbed interview Oh, I haven't heard that it's, one. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's only maybe about eight weeks ago. Wow, weeks ago, yeah. wow, yeah. Um, but but going back into his early life that that he only started talking about in his autobiography, which I never read and only heard about in the in the postmortems, where he was a uh, a Muscle Beach bodybuilder, right. squatting six hundred pounds in uh, Venice Beach in the fifties, you know, dressed in leather, riding his motorcycle a hundred thousand miles. You know, mm-hmm. these are crazy stories. And then he yeah. became like the leading. Neuroscientist, yeah, 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 <laughs> writing these great books. I mean, what a life that guy lived. No? That anyone follow your passion, yeah, you know, and was a great music clad. music aficionado. Uh, wrote books and, on music and wrote books about like that. I forget the name of it, but that particular plant that he had the obsession about, <laughs> and, the, and it just just you know follow the story of Oliver Sacks is really the story of follow your passion. You know, oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he was a one of a kind individual. Amazing, amazing, amazing Renaissance. Great, man. great, great recommendation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna follow it up with something just incredibly stupid uh, <laughs> stupider than Baijiu yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm we gonna, can't let the podcast <laughs> in with that I thought I was gonna God. win stupid with Baijiu come on like, like Kaiser many, many years ago uh, you know before I became like a f- complete you know Apple guy I mean I, I you know used to play the occasional PC game and there was one that was I, I sank a lot of time into it was called I mean, it's the 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 Total War series Rome uh, yes. so medieval right, two right, right. Total War was was the one that I loved it just came out for for Mac uh, like right before Christmas and I downloaded it and then and, like f- pissed away like <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> amounts of time just in the last few weeks on this game. so you want uh, listeners uh, to do the same thing <laughs> I want, I want <laughs> but you know I mean because you know w- once you're like good enough you don't have to focus entirely you can just like run the whole Seneca back catalog and listen to that as you know I, I played you know the the English and uh, the the French then I, I recently was playing the Holy Roman Empire and and I got a huge kick out of the fact that you know when you click on your little guy he says mein Kaiser Kaiser yes Kaiser yes Kaiser Saying my name. I mean, and it wasn't until then that I realized just how how preposterous my name is. <laughs> it's such a stupid, I mean, like a crazily stupid name to have. 
to walk through life like uh, with the name. Uh, I mean, I've had try, to try walking through life with the name Matzah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Now, is that a recommendation look, or a confessional? Slightly, <laughs> looking slightly Semitic. Yeah, yeah, it's just slightly. You're like a Greek, Turkish? Yeah, Greek, Turkish, somewhere around somewhere there. Somewhere in the Aegean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, He's so. a pirate. <laughs> He's swarthy. 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 He's swarthy. Greg Matzah. He's swarthy. my best friend. I could say that. <laughs> he doesn't look like, you look like a Howie, but he doesn't look like a Matzah. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Anyway, hey guys, thanks thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, uh, I've, I've Thanks, never, David. Yep. And, and and I hope our listeners appreciated an entirely frivolous show that was devoid of any intellect, serious intellectual content. But yeah, go enjoy the episodes. Uh, They're funny. Medieval Total War is where I find it. All right, guys, uh, we will see you next next week on the Cynica Podcast, and good luck with the next show. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. All right, All right take care. Bye. Bye.